It's Wednesday, October 31st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Mann. Happy Halloween, guys. Happy Halloween. How are you? Uh, I'm good. We're back after uh, being out for a couple of days. You may have heard a little something about uh, a storm moving up the East Coast that shut down the stock market for... Uh, the first couple of days of the week, and yeah, so. the first time since the 1800s the market's been closed like four days in a row. Yeah, yeah. If only we had electronic trading, so we could have avoided. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It uh, seems like there's a technology fix. You would, you would think so. Um, we are going to uh, talk about Hurricane Sandy. Uh, we're going to talk about the big Disney Star Wars deal, and uh, we are going to not only talk about but consume some Halloween candy. Because honestly, what makes for better listening oh, for our gosh. dozens of listeners t- than to hear us munch on some seasonal candy? Uh, but let's start with uh, with Hurricane Sandy, um, uh, and uh, I should say right at the top, it is important to remember. Uh, you know, this is one of those events that, that kind of puts everything in perspective. As of right now, uh, the death toll in the United States as a result of the storm uh, stands at 55. Uh, Tuesday morning, uh, millions of people woke up without power from Maine down to the Carolinas. And, uh, Bill, I'll just start with you. The economic impact um, is being estimated right now at somewhere in the neighborhood of, of upwards of $50 billion when, when yeah. you factor in about $20 billion for property damages, and then in terms of lost business, anywhere from 10 to $30 billion on top of that. The business interruption exp- insurance is what's going to be, it's something that a lot of people probably haven't heard of, but a lot of, a lot of businesses have, are, are insured against events like this, where they have to shut down their business for extended periods of time. They have some coverage. And this is going to be a really big thing over the next uh, over the next you know o- o- over the next few weeks as as you start to see claims come out in the billions of dollars that uh, that that uh, businesses are you know basically unable to enact commerce right now. I mean, from anything from their places of business don't exist anymore to you know they just don't have power, and you know so th- th- it, it is going to be massive. Well, and also the the impact of flights. I mean. To- you know, just yeah. thousands and thousands of flights uh, canceled over the last few days. You know that that obviously has a ripple effect as well. Um, Joe, when you just sort of look at this storm and the impact of it through the investor lens, what stands out to you? Well, I was thinking about my insurance companies. We have a lot of exposure to insurers at Inside Value, and there are all types of insurance out there. Um, certainly, it runs a gamut, but the ones that I would be concerned about are some reinsurers that might have some kind of long tail risk um, a reinsurer is <laughs> you're going to need to explain back that, that up a little bit <laughs> a reinsurer is a lot like what it sounds like it's a company an insurance company that provides insurance to insurance companies yeah. so your standard insurance company isn't just going to take kind of naked open ended risk they understand risk management and they want to cap their losses too yeah. so they go out and buy it now the problem is it's kind of a commodity good to begin with so it's not all that great a business and occasionally you know the business is kind of like picking up nickels in front of a steamroller where it's like, oh, a little bit of money, a little bit of money, a little bit of money. I owe how much? Yes. So that's kind of the model, and uh, that had me a little bit concerned, but the market doesn't seem to be too concerned about any of our holdings today, though that is never a good excuse to not do more research. Uh, but we're going to do more digging. Yeah. So uh, the way the way this works is you have these uh, you have these, these reinsurers, and you can reinsure any anything. But in 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 this specific case, you're talking about reinsurance against what are called super catastrophes. So the, they're called super cat reinsurance policies, and uh, they're not as awesome as they sound. I know it sounds it 
it, it sounds like a superhero. What? Like, not to get too in the weeds, but what distinguishes a catastrophe from a super catastrophe? The amount of loss. Okay. So the amount of loss. Let's just say that the, that going up to a hundred million dollars. If an insurance company has a hundred million dollars in losses, the uh, reinsurance company owes them nothing. But everything above a hundred million dollars, they'll pay a hundred percent of. So when you have a huge, you know, when you have a huge event like this, you better hope that the reinsurance companies have not managed to concentrate themselves. And this happened during Katrina. A number of reinsurance companies had too much concentration on the Gulf. They thought, well, you know, we've got these oil derricks in Louisiana. We've got, you know, we've got this property, this coastline property in Florida. A huge storm comes in and it hits all of them. So what you, you know, what what the insurance companies have to worry right about right now is a reinsurer that it's taken a mortal financial hit. But I, I I suspect that they've learned a lot from Katrina a few years ago. Yeah, and not everything is bad necessarily in insurance. So a nice. I hate to say nice, but a silver lining to this for insurers is that it will probably prop up or harden insurance prices. So just like any time there's a hurricane that goes through the Gulf, you immediately see PNC prices, property, uh, casualty insurance prices go up almost immediately. You'll see similar dynamics here. So the ones who reserved well and are diversified might actually benefit. Uh, Another beneficiary is the brokerages. So like an Aon, for example. Uh, they connect people wanting to buy and sell policies, and in doing so, a hardening market will definitely be good news for them, and they don't have direct exposure. Yeah. D- does something like this give you guys pause with respect specifically to insurance companies? If 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 one believes mm-hmm. uh, that this type of event uh, is is going to be more common over the next. 25 years than the than the previous 25 years and 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 I'm not necessarily talking about this big a storm but just storms in general is is that is that a reason to steer clear of insurance companies or is the uh, the business model such that uh, that's baked in, and and they're going to be fine no matter yeah, what. For, first of all, it's baked in. I mean, this is what they do, and you have to hope. I mean, you have to hope. Insurance companies are at their core. Uh, dependent on their managements to make good decisions. So if you've got a bad manager who's made bad concentration risks, then you're going to have a problem when you know when when a storm or any type of an event hits at where they are badly you know where where they are badly allocated. But I think the thing that worries me a little bit more than are these storms going to be more frequent because I you know I, I actually just don't even want to get into that topic. But the, you know the fact is that. Property values, particularly coastal property values, have skyrocketed over the last 20 years. And, you know, coastal property, vacation properties, I mean, it's a lot more heavily developed than it has been in a lot of different places around the world. So the amount of financial exposure, I think, is going to continue to go up, and it will be harder and harder to lay that risk off properly. Uh, just last thing on, on this topic, uh, we've seen over the last couple of days uh, commentators coming out and saying, look, the damage is going to be enormous in terms of uh, dollar figures. This is going to have a material effect on GDP. This is absolutely going to have a material effect on quarterly earnings, quarter, mm-hmm. you know, all those sorts of results. And so I think it's perfectly reasonable to expect that when the next round of earnings uh, comes out, that companies are going to be referencing the impact of Hurricane Sandy on their business. That being said, are there industries out there or companies out there th- for whom they they can't play that card 
you know, if there's like some regional business in California that's publicly traded, like if, if they come out and they're like, hey, we were affected too. It's like, really? How, how did yeah. that work? If National Bank of Greece <laughs> blames their next quarter on that, I'll be suspicious. Um, yeah. Anything, yeah, like West Coast oriented, online. Um, there are a lot of companies that will definitely use that as an excuse. But I would read that as an investor as a way to kind of get a feel for management too. Like if a company is just chalking up all their, you know, they're quick to make excuses and they claim that, you know, a storm on the East Coast was an issue and you're, say, a jack-in-the-box, which right. is heavily concentrated on, you know, the West Coast and the stand states, like, you know, you definitely raises a red flag in terms of credibility. Potentially a litmus test for the character of the management. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to blame. I mean, it's it, it's it, it's it's easy to take credit when things are good and to look for, to look for blame when it when when things are not going very well. But sometimes the blame becomes, you know, slightly more absurd. Disney is buying Lucasfilm for four billion in cash and stock. Uh, Lucasfilm and George Lucas, obviously the the man and the company behind the Star mm-hmm. Wars franchise. I believe this makes George Lucas the tenth largest individual shareholder of Disney stock. Um, what do we think of this deal? This is obviously a big deal, and it it, it came out uh, yesterday because the, yeah, it came out in <laughs> what would have been market hours, but uh, the market wasn't really trading, so you yeah. know, they were able to come out with it. Uh, what do you think, Bill? Were you, first, were you surprised by the deal? You know, I I, I I kind of assumed that it would happen eventually. I was surprised at the timing because it seems to me everything that we know about George Lucas and how he has run that company is that he's a control freak. And I'm really surprised that he didn't hold on until way you know later. He's, what, 60? 60, 68. 68. So... I mean, he's got a lot of life ahead of him. It'll be interesting to see, and it may already be out there, and I just haven't seen it. What sort of uh, creative control he will retain over, you know, over certain properties. But I was actually pretty surprised, uh, unless it's just an economic thing that uh, that that he came out and did it this soon. Uh, Joe, four billion for Lucasfilm. Just to put that in context, uh, that's a lot. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of zeros. Uh, when Disney bought Marvel. Uh, that was four point two billion when Disney bought Pixar. That was seven point four billion. What do you think of the price tag? Do you think that this is? Too- I would have bought four Instagrams instead. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, what about that though? There that some was pe- a Google joke. There, there are some people out there saying, you know what, Disney. We, we like the Star Wars franchise, but Disney paid too much. It is a high price tag, but I think when you look at Marvel and Pixar as being kind of prototypes of the value for Disney of going in and buying up these great franchises and bringing them in and tapping them into this huge network. So, you know, with Disney, for example, think of all that Disney can do with the Star Wars brand, the characters, and rolling those into, say, Disney World. Yeah. Um, and instead of, you know, Star Wars being a lot more demographically tilted more towards like old people i mean i'm a big star wars fan but you know i'm not necessarily disney's target demographic like they would love you know to have six-year-olds excited about star wars and be lifetime customers and they are though yeah well i I believe that not in the same way though that like lego Lego star wars is 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 huge at the in the six and seven year old demographic in the man household i'm I'm happy to hear that and the hill household there we go so that's you know um I think we should probably take at least a minute or so and talk about Bob Iger, the CEO at Disney, because for for all the grousing that we collectively do about CEOs who make bad purchases, 
Um, it really seems like Bob Iger at Disney, in his tenure at Disney, he's he's the guy behind the Pixar no. purchase, the Marvel purchase, and now this. Um, it really seems like he knows what he's doing in terms of acquisitions. But, you know, to your point, Joe, it also seems like it's an attractive place to be. Because if you're George Lucas and you're looking at where am I going to go with my business, Disney has this massive, right. broad opportunity from yeah. amusement parks to television, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, I really think Bob Iger deserves some credit on this one because whether or not he overpaid, he probably didn't overpay by much. Yeah, I think it's really important to remember that a lot of times, it, it probably if you were to look at, and Lucasfilm is private, so we don't have all of the data on, on them, but if you were to look at their cash flows and their assets, probably they've overpaid. But you want to talk about a company that's able to do a lot with that character portfolio and that movie portfolio. I can't name one that, that has more of an opportunity to make more of this portfolio than Disney. So I think it's probably not worth as much to anybody else than it is to Disney. Yeah. And similar dynamics like we talked about in the beverage business, you know, where you'll have somebody with scale reach uh, like a Diageo and alcohol or a Coca-Cola with, you know, soft drinks and overpriced bottled water who can step in and, (laughs) you know, buy these kind of one-off vertical products and brands and put them in the greater portfolio and they can get more value from it than anyone else. And in that case, it's a win for everybody. Uh, Rather than wrapping up on the stock, let's let's wrap up on Disney just by nerding out just slightly on, (laughs) on the topic of Star Wars because part of this announcement was... Uh, the news that there are going to be, I believe, three new Star Wars films coming, the first one coming in 2015. To your... Credit to my wife, by the way. So I told her yesterday, <laughs> I was like, I saw on Twitter, oh, wow, Disney's buying Lucasfilm. And immediately, she's like, so when are they going to do a new Star Wars film? And I was like, well, I don't know that... There oh, you go. 2015. It's, it's in the announcement. <laughs> I have I have that news. Um, uh, to your point, Joe, about creative control and George Lucas, I think it's fair to say that uh, on balance, the first three Star Wars films were uh, viewed much more positively from a well, creative they standpoint are much more beloved, yeah. than the second trio of films. How hopeful are we about... This next trio of films, if George <laughs> Lucas is, if he still has that kind of creative control, I got to say, I'm not super optimistic. Now, yeah. if John Lasseter, the genius behind Pixar and essentially the, the de facto creative uh, control guy for uh, Disney Pixar, if he has his say, then I'm a lot more optimistic. What do you think? Yeah, I'm optimistic, but I, I just hope Disney resists the temptation to make it a naked cash grab. You know, where you're focusing so much on creating characters that can be but four and a half billion around. dollars. Four and a half billion dollars doesn't grow on trees. They got to make it up uh, somehow. That's true, but I I yeah, don't no, see I, how they I couldn't agree. be better than the last set of movies. You know what I what I would love to see would be that they announce that they're going to do six new Star Wars movies and just do the last three over. Just pretend that they didn't happen. Say you know, uh, yeah. Samuel hey. Jackson, you're welcome to come and. Work with us in the you know this this the 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 last set, but the Phantom Menace we're 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 gonna do it again. And no Jar Jar Binks. I'm no kind of Jar troubled. Jar I don't know how they're gonna handle like the handoff from six to seven. You know, I assume we're getting all new actors in here, well, but I, we'll I think that was part of the charm of the Star Wars franchise was like the continuity of of characters and I don't know. People were very attached to you know individual like at least I am with <laughs> actors playing in the roles like Alec Guinness. I mean, come on. In yeah. terms of the crossover thing you were talking about, Joe, do you think we're going to see Princess Leia showing up and like with the other Disney princesses? So Carrie Fisher, 
Well, I, uh, maybe. Yeah. I think she's available, though, <laughs> I'm guessing, for number seven. Uh, it is Halloween, and I, uh, I have right in front of me uh, two bowls of candy because, well, it's Halloween and it's candy time. But uh, I, I've noticed that uh, when we talk about companies making small bets, it seems like the candy companies are making more and more small bets. Tiny. And some of them, frankly, aren't paying off. And I figured we'd find out if these two bets are paying off. And I'm referring specifically to the, these are seasonal limited edition candies from M&M's. We have candy corn M&M's, and they are the colors of the the neon yellow and white and orange. Uh, So the candy corn flavored M&M's. And from Hershey's, pumpkin spice kisses. So Hershey's, Hershey's. Kisses I thought you are, were talking about the fact that like they've they've branded the tiny candy bars like fun size. Like f- that's not fun size to me. Fun size would be like a Hershey bar the size of a manhole cover. <laughs> like if you want to be the house that all of the kids in your neighborhood remember, spend the extra money and go out and get king size candy bars and hand them out just one. Year. That is that is the way to be huge. Are all right. doing candy yeah. corn first. Um, let's try the candy corn uh, M and M's. I gotta say. Um, they they oh, have, mm. they're not good. I'm just going to say it. They're <laughs> not, not right. good. They're candy not, corn just isn't good. Candy <laughs> corn is fine, but candy corn it's is fine, fine in its form it's as candy I, corn. Meanwhile, I'm chewing Strong right into the microphone. I hate that. Yeah, it's not. So I think we can we can right. safely I, say to the people at M and M's, just stop. Thank we, you for the sugar coma. Th- thank you for trying. Mm-hmm. We appreciate your trying, but it's a little bit like we've talked about before with Girl Scout cookies, where look. Thin mints. Just stick with the thin mints. Samoas. You don't have to come out with a new cookie every year, you know, a new type. But that doesn't look like a natural color. So the pumpkin spice Hershey's Kiss, yeah, it's not a natural color. It's 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 probably white chocolate that they've. What would you call that? I mean, I'm you know, this is great radio. Although we have you know, video Mm. as well. What what color would you call that? That's sort of like a a, (laughs) nougat. It's like a nougat (laughs) colored. Yeah, it's sort of orange (laughs) nougat. You can't you can't describe a candy using another candy's color as its description. Uh, Joe, you've sampled the pumpkin spice Hershey's Kiss. What do you say? What's the verdict? Much better than the candy corn M M&M. and M. I think it's good. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're really into pumpkin spice, it's a bit of a craze right now. Like everyone's doing it. Pumpkin spice is one of those things that's uh, it's great when it's baked. So pumpkin bread. Pumpkin yeah. pie, that's great. But when you start throwing pumpkin spice into your lattes and other things, just stop. I, yeah, it should be illegal. You're bearish on this. I'm not, not, not excited about it. All right, so for any listeners out there working at Hershey's or M&M's, just get back to work. We don't need the season. And I love candy, by the way. I'm like, you know, like I, I will... I'll reach for the candy bowl, but this is not... Let's be clear. I celebrate the entire Reese's catalog. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Mager. Phil Mann, guys, thanks for being here. Happy Thank Halloween. You. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.